Today we're going to continue in our New Year's series that we have titled Reset. The word reset is defined this way, to set, adjust, or fix in a new or a different way. And I have found that there is no better time for us to make necessary adjustments and, and, and fixes and changes and improvements on our life than the new year. And furthermore, there are no better adjustments for us to make than those in the spiritual realm. Things have to do with our Christian walk. But in order for us to have a proper reset, our minds must be renewed. Romans 12, 2 has been our scripture reference throughout this series. And it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Only when our minds are renewed will we be in a position to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in our lives. Well, today I wanna to talk to you about a subject that very few in our culture know anything about, stewardship. What does it mean? Well, Webster defines it like this. Stewardship is the office, duties, and obligations of a steward. The conducting, supervising, or managing of something. The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Stewardship involves oversight and protection of something worth caring for. Therefore, a steward, which we are, is a person who conducts or supervises or manages something entrusted to his or her care. We are all stewards over a variety of things, ladies and gentlemen, but the area that I want to address this morning is the proper stewardship of one's financial resources. And I want to look at what the scriptures have to say about stewardship as it pertains to giving, specifically managing our financial resources in such a way that allows us not only to give to God's work, but to make it a joyful activity for every Christian. Yes, this is my annual sermon that I give about giving. And truthfully, this is an area where a reset is often required. Why is that? Because so many people have lost sight of the importance of giving as it pertains to their Christian walk. But understand, it's far more than just the act of giving. It's about stewardship. Now, the reason you don't hear much about stewardship is because it's a foreign concept to most people. So this morning, I want to provide you with a biblical understanding of stewardship by sharing a few scriptures with you that help to establish the underlying foundation of where stewardship begins. And I'll start with Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, where it says this, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Psalms 89, 11, the heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 50, verse 10, for every animal of the forest is mine, this is God, and the cattle on a thousand hills. The underlying truth of stewardship must begin with the understanding that everything 
This world and everything within it belongs to God. And because of this truth, everything that we think we possess, we really don't own at all. We are simply stewards over it. Well, hold on, Pastor David. Are you telling me that my family, my house, my belongings, my pickup truck don't belong to me? That's exactly what I'm saying. You may hold it in your possession and even make payments on it, but it's not yours. It's God's. How many of you got a payment you wish you didn't have? I can prove it to you in this way. When you die, what do you take with you? Absolutely nothing. There's a lyric to an Eagles song that says, you don't see no hearses with luggage racks. Because you don't take it with you. You came into this world with nothing, and you will leave this world with nothing. You really don't own anything. You think you do, but you are simply a steward over the blessings that God has given you for the time that you have it. As the definition says, you are supervising or carefully and responsibly manage, managing what has been entrusted to you. And this applies to many different areas of life. For example, here's one where people have a hard time understanding stewardship when talking about their family. Use our children as an example. They are a gift from God. But as much as we love them, and as much as we know that they are a byproduct of the love between us and our spouse, our children are God's first. Before they're ours, they are God's. God has given us our beautiful children to love and to parent over. We are to raise them, we are to nurture them, help them to develop into productive citizens, teach them right from wrong, show them the way to God, but even though we are their parents, we must understand that God is their heavenly father. And he trumps all of our authority, our wisdom, our abilities, and most certainly power. We are simply stewards of our children while we have the privilege of having them under our roof. But even when they grow up and they start life on their own, we continue in that role. We certainly don't own them, we simply steward over their development and over their growth. Therefore, it benefits you and I very much to steward in a way that blesses the one who gave our children to us. Here's another example of stewardship, and it's regarding your natural abilities and talents. You may possess a great singing voice. You may be an incredible musician. You may have the ability to teach and, and communicate truth to other people. You may have an, an incredible business acumen, and I'm sure that you have worked hard in order to, to, to develop and to hone those skills, but they are all, in fact, gifts from God. You don't own them. They are talents on loan to you from God. And because God has blessed you with these talents, you should use those talents in a way that bring glory to God, the one who blessed them with you in the first place, because that's good stewardship. Another example is our possessions. We don't really own them, as I said earlier. We steward those things that God has given us. But wait, Pastor David, you believe me when I tell you I work hard for the things that I own? I'm sure you do. But let me respond to you by saying this. Even your ability to work and to earn an income to buy those possessions is a gift from God. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant 
which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. You are simply a steward of the ability and the talent that God has given you to work and to earn money. So you must work in a way that brings glory to the one who gave it to you in the first place. Because again, that's good stewardship. But what about my money, Pastor David? The money that I have earnestly and I have faithfully saved over the years, that's mine. Well, not really. It's God's too. And here again is the truth. Just like with all your possessions, you can't take your money with you when you die. It will remain long after you're gone. And again, that only proves that you are a steward over it. Yes, you managed it, you saved it, but, but it's not yours because you're gone. It's not yours anymore. And as a steward, you can certainly do whatever you want to do with the money that you have. You can spend it on whatever it is that you desire. But understand, those decisions on what to spend your money on is your participation in stewardship. It may be good stewardship. It may be reckless stewardship. But it's stewardship just the same. And as followers of Christ, we should all desire to be the best stewards possible over every blessing and resource that God has given us. Because here's the reality regarding the results that come from this kind of stewardship that you provide, whether it be good or whether it be reckless. And it's found in the parable of the shrewd manager found in the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 10 through 13. And it says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you if have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? God wants us to be good stewards over everything that he blesses us with. And the reason is because when you show yourself faithful, As a steward, he blesses you with even more. So when you start to look at life from the perspective of being a steward and realize that there is a great responsibility in that, I believe that it naturally should change your behavior. You start to view your responsibilities differently. No longer do you make decisions simply based upon, well, I really want that. But instead, you start to look at everything you do with a concern of of it being a good outcome for the one who has entrusted you with the responsibilities of making that decision in the first place, God Almighty. And so the goal of us as faithful stewards should be to earn our money honestly, to manage our money wisely, and to give our money generously. So all of what I just shared with you is an introduction to talk about stewardship over our financial resources regarding giving. Every January, I take one Sunday and I talk about giving as it pertains to your Christian walk and as it pertains to your church. As the pastor of High Point Assembly, one of my responsibilities is to show you how to live out your Christian faith by encouraging sound financial stewardship. My job is to teach you biblical truths about how to successfully steward over the many financial blessings that God has given you because we will all give an account one day for how we have used or misused our resources. So as we look at stewardship, 
The first thing we must understand is this. Financial stewardship is a spiritual act of worship, and it requires that we invest ourselves in our faith. It's really nothing more than living out what we say we believe. It's about putting flesh on what is often a a mental or an emotional or a spiritual understanding of God. But first and foremost, it's kind of a, a posturing of ourselves before God and recognizing that he is the source of every good thing in our lives. And when we choose to give to God, it's an act that affirms that truth and that he is the giver of every good and perfect gift, as the scripture says. The Bible teaches us that God created us and he blesses us with every good thing. He draws us into a relationship with himself and he equips us with talents and skills to be partners with him in his kingdom here on this earth. Therefore, everything that we are and everything that we have is a gift from God. And that understanding should naturally bring us to a humble place of wanting to give back to him. It is a grateful response from our heart back to our heavenly father. You know, whenever I speak on this subject, there's always a wide variety of responses. For Christians who understand giving as it pertains to their Christian walk, those who have lived to see God's provision and have faithfully given throughout their life to the work of the Lord, well, they love this message because they live it out every day of their life. They're amening in their head. They may not be saying it out loud, but they're going, he's right, he's right, that's happened to me. And they are, they are committed to being good stewards of everything that God has entrusted them with. And their stewardship begins with the tithe, and I'll explain what the tithe is just a little bit later. For those Christians who have not yet established this spiritual discipline of, of giving, of giving back a portion of what God has blessed them with to the work of the Lord, this is a topic that can sometimes be uncomfortable. It's not because they don't believe the message, however. It's just they've never been able to bring themselves to that level of faith and trust in God. Certainly, most of them have considered it, but they haven't been able to fully trust God in this crucial area of their Christian walk. And for non-Christians, people who are not of the faith, simply put, this topic is ridiculous to them. The idea that they would give away some of their hard-earned money is foolishness. It's it's an inconceivable proposition. My goal this morning is to hopefully help you to understand that as a Christian, giving is an act of worship as well as a measure of your faith in God. And furthermore, to show you how that once you make a commitment to giving, God does exactly what he promises he will do in his word. Luke 6.38 tells us this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. When you give, give, God says he will give back to you. And not just give back to you, but give back to you in good measure and even running over. He provides for your need and he blesses you in addition with increase. It's like our scripture Last week, they said he has plans to prosper you and to give you hope in a future. 
But I want you to please notice the last part of Luke 6.38. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. It says that the, the, the measure of God's blessing will be determined by the measure of what you're willing to give. Here's the deal. God cannot bless you and prove to you that his word is true in this area of giving if you never give. It's just that simple. Now, as we talk about giving, I want you to understand that there are examples of giving in the Bible. There are three really main examples of how we give. The first is the tithe. What does that mean? It means a tenth. The Jewish people practiced tithing. A tenth of everything they had was given to God. It was what they referred to as their first fruits. A tenth of their crop, a tenth of their animals, a tenth of their land, a tenth of herbs in the garden, a tenth of everything they possessed went to God. If God blessed you with a field of wheat, then out of gratitude to God, you, you gave a tenth of that wheat, meaning you presented it to the temple. If God blessed you with 10 new lambs, then out of gratitude to God, you gave one of those 10 lambs, again, you would bring it to the temple. Through this kind of giving, the priests could be sustained, but there was also enough left over to share with those who were in need within the community. Tithing is how God, throughout the centuries, has financed his kingdom work here on earth. The tithe is the lifeblood of any church, and the tithe comes from God's people, you and me. Those who are obedient to God's word and who have grasped this truth that, that giving is our responsibility. The second type of giving mentioned in the Bibles is offerings, free will offerings. In addition to the tithe, the Israelites would also bring offerings into the temple. Again, it was to show their thankfulness, their gratefulness to God. Many people who have yet to establish the, the spiritual discipline of tithing often give offerings. And that's a good thing because it's another way in which you can help to support your church. And, and through those offerings, you begin to exercise generosity in your life and it opens you up to trusting God for even greater things and trusting him to give the tithe, the 10%. Some people in our church give offerings above their tithe to missionaries and other ministry works. Those are all considered offerings. And the third type of giving mentioned in the Bible is alms. This is money that is given to those who are in need. Alms are given above and beyond the tithe and offering, and it's given with the intent of helping a need, someone in need or a situation of great need. If you know of a person or a situation where there is a great need, then you give towards that need. When you do, you are giving alms. Now, I have come to realize that there isn't a single principle found in God's word that people have a more difficult time grasping than this concept of faithful giving. It is often the last of the spiritual disciplines that people will develop in their Christian life. And I have discovered two main reasons why this is, why it's become so difficult for so many people to take that, that leap of faith. First of all, many people believe that they can't afford to give. They, they have a hard time making ends meet, and they worry if they give, there may not, there may not be enough money left over to pay the bills. 
They have a hard time truly believing what the scriptures have to say about giving and fully trusting God's promises. It is a trust issue. And speaking of God's promises, there's one promise regarding giving that I love about all others, and it's found in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. God is so adamant here about his promise that he actually wants us to test him to see that what he is saying is true, that he will in fact pour out blessings upon you that you won't have room to contain. Well, a secondary reason why people have a hard time giving is societal influence. As Americans, we derive a great deal of pleasure and enjoyment and even identity from our money, our income. We live in a nation where materialism and consumerism is king. And for many, the, the focus to, to spend and obtain and possess just is ahead of everything else. In addition, society also breeds into us a kind of a selfishness. It's a need to, to hold on tightly to what we have out of fear that we just might not have enough. And it's the American way of life. And we all are greatly affected by our culture, whether we want to admit it or not. But it isn't just America. It even happened back in the Old Testament days. In fact, the first half of that scripture that I just read you from Malachi chapter three, verse 10, where God says, when you give, I will pour out uh, so much of a blessing that you won't be able to contain it. Well, apparently, the people of that day were also influenced by their society and everyday pursuits, selfish pursuits, and it prevented them from tithing. So God brought a word to them through the prophet Malachi. Malachi 3.8, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are, you rob how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. He goes on to say, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. But then he goes on to the promise I just read. So bring in the whole tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much of a blessing you'll not have room to receive it or contain it. Here's what I've learned from the scriptures in my own personal journey. Just about everything that Jesus taught us, it swims against the current of societal, of societal norms, doesn't it? I want you to think about it. Jesus said if someone slaps you on the cheek, that you were to turn the other cheek, right? If they wanna whack you there, let them whack you. He said if someone asked to borrow your shirt, you don't just give them your shirt, you give them your coat as well. He said, pray for your enemies. Who in our world does that beside Christians? He said to love those who hate you. It's kind of hard sometimes, isn't it? He said, give and it will be given to you. None of these things make sense in our culture, does it? But it makes total sense to God. It's how things operate in God's economy. Because everything that Jesus taught or showed us by example comes from an eternal perspective. 
See, God knows that our days on this earth are numbered. While eternity, the afterlife, goes on forever. That's why it's called eternity. It has no end. And is where we spend eternity is what should matter to us the most. So the things that, that Jesus taught us always flew in the face of, of, of cultural normals. Therefore, we've all got to realize that any change that can occur within you and me regarding the things that Jesus taught can only come, as we've been talking about, through a renewed mind. A mind that has been transformed by God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. Until you are transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, until you accept Christ fully and begin to live your life guided by the Holy Spirit, none of this will really make sense to you. So developing generosity and learning godly stewardship can only happen when you have allowed God the opportunity to change you from the inside out. And you know, here's a common question that I've been asked many times. Why does God need my money anyway, Pastor David? I often wonder, are they just trying to get a debate going or do they really mean that? The truth is God doesn't need your money. Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hill. What he wants is your heart. Do you get that? There's a connection. God's not a greedy God. He owns everything, but he knows the act of giving is going to bless you. He wants to know that your heart is committed to him because money is so vitally important to all of us. When you come to the point of giving some of it away, God knows that a real change has occurred within you. You are now opening yourself up to trusting him in literally everything. You see, when you begin to trust God in the realm of your personal finances, he knows that you have graduated to a much higher level of faith than you've ever had. And you are now positioning yourself to receive those supernatural blessings that are spelled out in his word. Another question that is commonly asked is, why does the church need money? And I have to tell you something, that one just blows me away. <laughs> I mean, look around you. I think anyone living in the 21st century understands the costs that are involved in operating anything, let alone a church this size. And it's funny to me how, how people don't think twice about paying a monthly fee to be a member of a health club or pay dues to some service or civic organization or buying mindless stuff that you don't really need, but the thought of giving something to your church either never crosses your mind or you get offended by that idea. And I just don't get that. I'm just being honest with you. I don't have a lot of tolerance for that kind of a mindset. You see this beautiful building that we meet in? It didn't just happen. It happened because the people of God had a vision for a growing church in the community of Red Bluff, California that desperately needed Jesus. And they sacrificially gave towards that vision. They owned that vision. Every church you see was built through the giving of the people who attend that church. There's no government loans or grants when it comes to, to the church. There's no assistance whatsoever. And there's likewise daily expenses that are required to operate this church. 
We have a monthly mortgage payment. We have power bills. We have water bills. We have insurance, payroll, so on. Just like your daily expenses you have to live, the church has them as well. But they are substantially larger, I might add, than what yours are at home. In addition to that, this church wants to be able to do more things to reach out to this community, and every one of those costs something to do. So this church lives daily by faith that our needs will be provided for. And because God owns everything anyway, just like he provides for your needs, he likewise provides for the needs of this church. But he provides for the needs of this church through the giving of people like you and me. That's how this place exists, in case you've ever pondered that thought. And as we mature in our faith collectively, and all of us begin to believe his promises and give fully to the Lord, our church will continue to accomplish not only what we are doing, but even greater things. Bottom line is this. If every one of us um, began to live out this truth in our lives and trust God enough to give of the tithe, our church could accomplish greater things. Our mortgage, I just really shudder to think of what we could do if we had 100% participation. Our mortgage could be paid off. The money that we give to the bank could instead be poured into greater, more effective outreach ministry in this community. We could support more missionaries who are working around the world, taking the news, the good news of Jesus Christ to people who have never heard it before. And we could give to less fortunate churches who aren't as blessed as we are. I can only dream of the things that we could accomplish. And I pray that all of you will pray about this and see how you might get involved. And you know, you may think that this message that I'm presenting today is a bit self-serving. And maybe you think that perhaps out of all people, I shouldn't be the one talking to you about giving because maybe you think that uh, if there's a benefit to me. Here's something you need to understand about the finances at High Point Assembly because perceptions are often wrong. I don't handle the money that comes into this place. I don't touch it. Occasionally I'll see it while they're counting it, but I, I don't touch it. I, I don't even have a combination to the safe here at this church. We have a security team that ushers the offerings from, from our, our depositories where you put your offerings and they lock it in the safe in the office. We have office staff who, who uh, counts the money, prepares it, deposits it in the bank, and we have a board of directors that manages the money and makes the spending decisions of this church. I get a salary by being the senior pastor of High Point. I am not on any kind of a bonus structure where I make more money if you give more money. So there's no personal benefit for me to encourage you to tithe, but understand this, there is a personal benefit to you. If I could somehow get you to move past your fears, to move past your concerns and build your trust in God, in this area of giving, you could be living a very different kind of a life. One where your current lack of resources could be changed. One where fear of your financial picture could be eliminated because you, you've learned to put it all into God's trusting hands. One where you have learned to trust him enough to say, I'm going to begin to live by the principles found in God's written word as it pertains to my resources, as it pertains to giving. It's also important for you to understand something. What I am teaching you today, I have lived. 
I am not teaching you something that I know nothing about. I couldn't be more certain about any topic that I will share with you from this pulpit. So allow me to share something that I have learned in my life as a person who not only gives the tithe, but who gives above the tithe. There is on the surface a sacrifice to giving. And when I started giving, it seemed like a huge sacrifice to me. I'll just be honest with you. The idea of giving away some of my hard-earned money and not spending it on myself was a concept that was hard for me to grasp. Because all we can see in our limited human understanding is a financial spreadsheet and a culture that tells us it can't be done. When we need to start looking at it through our spiritual eyes and with a trust in God's provision, fully embracing God's promises. Because here's the deal, God can't bless you in this area of giving if you never give. Thank you for that one clap of hand down there. Yes. I knew I had somebody listening to me today. <laughs> My father taught me the importance of faithfully giving of the tithe when I was a 13-year-old boy and my first job, which was for him. He forced me to tithe. It wasn't a choice I made. He said, you're putting 10% away to, to the church and you're gonna save 10% and you can spend the rest. And he shared something with me in that conversation that I didn't know and that I will never forget. My dad was a cement contractor. And in Michigan, where I grew up, you cannot pour concrete in the winter because the ground is frozen. So you're vastly busy during the summer months, the spring, summer, and fall. But when the winter comes, you have no work. The first year of my father's new business with three children, I hadn't even been born yet, and entering into his first winter, he had to go on unemployment. Back then, he received $25 a month to sustain his family. And even though he received $25, my dad gave $2.50 to the church. thinking a lot about my dad while I was putting this together this week. And because of his faithfulness, my father's business began to grow and prosper. And soon he went from tithing to giving offerings, to giving alms to those in need, and he continually donated materials and his skills for many church projects and other Christian endeavors, and through his faithful giving and good stewardship, God greatly blessed my dad with an incredible company and a reputation of integrity that lasted up until the day he retired. I've seen this in my own life as well. I can never outgive God. The more I give God, the more he gives to me. So I continually keep giving because I can't afford not to. And honestly, I can't even imagine my life now without giving. And I get excited about it. We just got our year-end statement. I was excited when I saw how much we gave to High Point Assembly. It excites me, I'm sorry, to know that I can live and still give that much money to the church and God has provided for every need and then some. And I get excited further 
when I see somebody who takes this message seriously, when I watch them apply this truth to their own life and live to see the experience, to experience all the blessings that flow through their generosity. It is a supernatural experience that only those who live it can understand. But even then, we don't fully understand it all because after all, it's supernatural. But we fully enjoy living in it, amen, for those who do. And speaking of the supernatural, I want to go back to Malachi. I want to look at another promise from God. It's in Malachi 3.11. God says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. Another translation says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And it continues with your crops will, be, will not be devoured and your vines will produce fruit. They lived in an agricultural society. Thus, crops and fruit are mentioned here in these scriptures. But that promise gets, gets lived out in different ways in our day and age and our culture. I can tell you story after story of how God has rebuked the devourer in my life and others. The devourer is anything that, that takes away from your resources. But God says here that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. How does that work in our day? It's when your hot water heater lasts for 25 years without needing to have it replaced or repaired. It's when your car goes another 20,000 miles before the water pump that someone told you needed to be replaced actually needed to be replaced. It's when your neighborhood gets flooded and your house goes unscathed. And in another area, it's when an unexpected check arrives to you from a relative you barely knew who decided to leave you some money when they passed away as an inheritance or, or when somehow you received a refund from the IRS that you never expected right when you had a major need. I could tell you story after story of my life and people who come and share these stories with me, but I don't have the time to. What I'm trying to convey is there in, is indeed a supernatural element involved in all of this. Ultimately, they are all blessings that come from from God, from your faithful stewardship and from your faithful giving. And here's the deal. Once you can grasp the concept of stewardship that I shared with you at the beginning of this message, the idea that we own nothing and that it's all a gift from God, it is, it, it, that it's his in the first place and that we're simply trying to manage it in a proper way. That's when the idea of regularly and faithfully giving becomes an easy proposition and one that I believe we can clearly understand. And here's the other deal. I believe it's impossible for a follower of Jesus to fully experience all the supernatural blessings that he has planned for you without you being one who joyfully gives. I believe it will always be an obstacle that will hamper your spiritual growth because of your inability to trust God in this most important issue of your life. Because as I shared earlier, once you begin to tithe, once you put your trust in God with your finances, he knows at that point that he fully has your heart. Listen, the word of God suggests that he has given us responsibility over caring for his creation, his earth, his resources, and his children. It is a position of trust on his part. He hands over his resources to us as we are able to handle them. 
and then he asks us to be good stewards over them. We return them in full to him as he requires. So again, when we realize that we are not owners of all of our resources, but caretakers, that's what creates a healthy foundation for Christian giving. The scriptures teach us as we learn to give away a portion of what God has blessed us with, he replenishes what we give away supernaturally. And when we mature spiritually, as we obey God and his instruction to give of the tithe, we see him fulfill his promises. There is nothing more exciting, there is nothing more liberating than to know that God is intimately involved in my financial life and furthermore that he is able to supply every need that I have. And my prayer is that all of you will experience his supernatural blessings in your financial life. I'm here to tell you today, church, you can't outgive God. When you give, amen. When you give, he blesses you with more. It's how God's economy works. And as I've said several times, it's supernatural because while he continues to bless you and to prosper you, you give more and the cycle of giving and blessing just continues and it's an awesome cycle that you, you can't afford not to be a part of. Well, there you have it. I don't know if you're trying to make me feel good or if you think that's a great sermon, but thank you. That's my New Year's message on giving. It didn't hurt so much, now did it? For all of you who tuned me off in my first sentence, you're, you can come back now. I, I'm here. This truth from the, the Word of God will literally change your life. Scott, will you guys come forward and help me to close this down? Still fighting with that tickle in my throat from two weeks ago. It seems to never want to go away. As always, I am not going to just present something to you without following it up with an opportunity for you to, to, to act. I believe it's always important to give you an opportunity to respond to the truth that you hear every single Sunday. I'd like to ask the ushers to come down the centers of these aisles, if you would, with a handful of those envelopes that I had given you earlier this morning. I have two challenges for you this morning. First of all, if you are a person who has considered becoming a tithing member of this congregation by giving a 10th or 10% of your income to the work of the Lord, but for whatever reason, you haven't been able to take that initial step of faith. Uh, we as a church, we wanna help you in taking that step of faith with you. I'd like to present you with something that we have done over the past 10 years that I have been pastor here at High Point that has proven to be highly successful. It's called the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. Here's the challenge. If you would be willing to, to start giving your tithe for 90 days, you can start whatever month you write down on your pledge form that you're gonna start. At the end of that 90 days, if, if, if for any reason God has not made good on his promise to provide for your need, while at the same time you are giving to the work of the Lord, upon you calling the church office, we will give back every dime that you paid us over that 90-day period of time, no questions asked. If, however, but wait, there's more. If, however, after that 90 days, you realize that God was true to his promise, your needs were met, and you were able to pay your tithe, 
We took that step of faith with you and God has proven to be faithful in your financial life, then welcome to the group of tithe paying members here at High Point Assembly. In essence, in essence, what we're offering you is to test God, just like he says in Malachi, with no risk to you, to give you an opportunity to show you that my God will do what he says he will do. Believe me, this is not a gimmick and I'm not trying to be cute. I'm trying to help you take that much needed step of faith that has the ability to transform your life forever because this step will change your life forever. My second challenge for you this morning is for people who have already stepped out in faith and tithing is an ongoing part of your life. You've experienced those supernatural blessings that I've been talking about today. You've already lived it, lived it out, seen it lived out in your life. I wanna present you with an opportunity to be a part of something we call Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders uh, has been in effect ever since I was here. It's ever since I arrived 10 years ago. What is a Kingdom Builder? A Kingdom Builder is a person who loves to give. They believe that they exist to help support the work of the Lord in the local church. They derive a great deal of excitement out of giving to an intended purpose and they love seeing that purpose fulfilled. A Kingdom Builder commits to giving $100 additional a month above their tithe, $1,200 a year to help us with debt reduction, to, for, for much needed renovations and maintenance and, and upgrades here at the church that are not covered by our normal operating budget. These extra funds, they are earmarked specifically for items outside of our church budget and they are utilized at the discretion of your church board. It's a perennial program and my hope is that those who are currently Kingdom Builders will continue this year. But we'd like to see some more people participate. To, to your church, this Kingdom Builders becomes like an annuity. And every year it allows us to take a, a big bite out of our debt and at the same time have a campus that is kept up second to none. Here's some of the things we've been able to accomplish through Kingdom Builders. We resurfaced our parking lot. We recarpeted and repainted this sanctuary, added the stone wall. We've re-roofed our sanctuary. We purchased and prepared the, the modular classrooms that are around the back of our property. We remodeled our nursery and our ladies' bathroom. We replaced the air conditioning and heating units here in our sanctuary. We purchased our new sound system. That's probably been six, seven years ago. We just recently were able to buy our LED screens and our new LED sign out in the front. And, and we have paid down our mortgage by several hundred thousand dollars by additional amounts of money at the end of the year that we pay a big sum on our mortgage. And I wanna say thank you to our Kingdom Builders. We've been able to accomplish so much through your generosity. I, I just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I've been praying about this and I'm believing for an additional 20 families or individuals who might become a Kingdom Builder this year in 2023. And it's important for you to know something. I think it's very important. I would never ask you to be a part of something that I'm not a part of myself. Lisa and I have been kingdom builders every year that we have been pastor here, and we will continue to be as long as we are a pastor here at High Point Assembly. So to recap, inside the envelope, you're gonna find two cards. One is for the 90-day tithe challenge. If you're currently not a tithe bearer, you wanna participate in this 90-day challenge, I want you to take this home. I want you to pray about it with your family, fill out the card, bring it back with you on Sunday, January the 29th, and drop it in one of the offering receptacles. This way we will know who is accepting our challenge 
And if you already pay your tithe, I just wanna make clear, you don't need to fill one of these cards out. If you're already a tithe payer, you don't need to do anything. It's just for those who are starting out so that we know who is taking up our challenge. Second card, again, is for the Kingdom Builders. I want you to take that home. I want you to pray about it with your family. If you wanna participate, fill out the card, bring it back and drop it on December the 29th. Would you all please stand to your feet? Would you, would you, I'd like every family, I want you to take one per family or one per individual, if you're a single individual, just uh, raise your hand if you'd like one of these envelopes and they'll come down the aisle and they will hand these cards out to you. Thank you for your attention. I know this was probably a little longer than normal, but it's an important a message as I'll ever give. It's important to the future of our church. It's important to your Christian walk. It's my responsibility to share it with you, and I thank you for your graciousness this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for your faithfulness to me personally. Thank you for your faithfulness to my family, to my church family, to this church. God, you have been so faithful to us, and we thank you for that. And Father, I just pray that we will in turn be faithful to you in the giving of our resources. Pray that stewardship would be something that would be on all of our hearts and minds and that our desire would be to, to manage those things that you've given us in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Father, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, the things we do, the places we go, the conversations that we have, and those conversations would be designed to build others up and not tear them down. And Father, I pray as always that we will be bright lights in a very dark world, shining with your love, so much so that people will approach us and say, what is it that's different about you? And you open that door for us to share your goodness with them. God, I pray for a divine appointment for each one of us this week, where you have an opportunity to tell how good you have been to us, and we might invite them to church with us. So God, I just ask as we go our separate ways also, keep us safe from accidents that might befall us, keep us safe from any sickness and disease until we gather together and worship you as a church family in spirit and in truth. And as we go our separate ways, Father, let us go in love, showing your love to those around us. I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here.